good to worship with all of you. You guys can grab a seat. And, uh, you know, as we were singing that song, I'm just reminded in, in Psalm 19, David's writing about God's word. And he says, it is sweeter than honey to our lips. And there's so many beautiful pictures of that. And I just love, love, love hearing our people uh, worshiping Jesus together. Amen. Man, I, I just love, I love this time together we have each Sunday, and um, we're back this week in um, the, the series Parting Words, these, uh, the last sermon of Jesus, and so you can just get your Bible open to John chapter 5, and uh, as you're doing that, um, just turn to your neighbor and say to them, say, God's word is the authority. I love, love, love hearing you guys say that. And uh, listen, in a world that, that is um, our world, I don't know if you guys knew this, but they're kind of making up the truth as they go. Anybody figured that out yet? And, uh, and it is just the, the contradictory beliefs are leading more and more to just, just chaos. It's just chaos. And um, I promise you that, that this chaos will only increase both internally in people's souls and in the way it plays out in and around the world. And what the, what the authority of God's word says is it says that, um, it, and the way it plays out in our lives is, is, is the authority of God's word is like a solid rock and it, and it rises up out of the middle of the chaos and, and the, the chaos is oftentimes even represented in scripture like the waves or a raging sea. And on that rock, what Jesus wants us to do with our lives is to say, man, I'm not planting my feet in the world. I'm going to plant my feet on God's word, amen, on the solid rock that rises up in the middle. And uh, that's what we're going after. That's what we need um, as we encounter our world in so many different ways. And so today, um, let me just pray uh, for us before we jump in to prepare our hearts to receive God's word. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for uh, the worship this morning. I thank you for the fact that you, you, you love to bring a sweetness and goodness from your word into our lives. And I thank you, God, for the uh, work that you want to do in our hearts this morning. And um, this passage in front of us, God, is, is challenging. And it's a reality that we live in. Some of us uh, have lived in this more clearly even in the last few weeks or days, uh, some of us have in the past or will in the future. And so would you prepare us, God? Would you prepare our hearts for these things? Would you uh, help us to hear the words of our Father speaking to us? And through the work, God, of your spirit, would you uh, bring it to bear on our hearts and lives for your glory? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so I just wanna jump right into the passage. Just follow along with me, starting in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they, were all, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. 
But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send you to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And then these first four verses of chapter 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. There's a lot of places in God's word where you can find a a lot of very encouraging promises that you would welcome into your life. This passage of scripture has a few in the middle. We'll talk about that. But a lot of these are pretty challenging promises. Can we agree? Like, they will also persecute you. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. They will put you out of the synagogue. They will do these things. That's a heavy reality that I think God wants us to consider because he spent all this time processing through this with his disciples. But then, out of the darkness of of sort of the passage in the middle of it, in verses 26 and 27, there's this sort of light that starts to emerge that as we continue in this message, you're gonna see is the purpose that we're supposed to have into the darkness. Verses 26 and 27, it talks about when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness. See, the Holy Spirit here is, is given to every disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. If your faith is in Christ, if you have given your life to honor and follow and delight in the work and the wisdom and the ways of Jesus in leading your life and submitting to him, you've been given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit bears witness to you about who Christ is. He affirms that and points you to it and reminds you of it. We're going to talk about that more next week. But then out of that, what God's saying here is that the light received is supposed to be a light that you shine to boldly testify about Christ. And so in the midst of the hatred of the world, here's the big idea from this passage this morning, and it's this. We're supposed to counter hatred with a bold testimony. We're supposed to counter hatred with a bold testimony. Counter the world's hatred with the bold testimony of Christ. The hatred's gonna exist. It's a promise. Jesus is lovingly uh, preparing his disciples and through his disciples, this message that now comes to us and we sit under the teaching of this. And what Jesus is wanting to do is he's like, hey, 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 you're immersed in in a battle between two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of the world over here. The ruler of that world is Satan. It's the enemy of our souls. And over here is the kingdom of God where the Trinitarian God, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are ruling over that world. And there's the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. And it's a battle. And regularly in scripture, God's trying to help us understand the message of the kingdom and how this kingdom comes against the kingdom of the world and how we should operate in it. And so, you know, I read this week at the, at the end of one of J.D. Greer's books. He said this. He said, I've heard this from a pastor once. The church is a battleship, not a cruise ship. I was like, that's helpful. 
Because I feel like some people come into church and they're like, where's my ottoman? I'm going to kick my feet up. Please entertain me. If you fail to entertain me, I'm going to go find another place to entertain me. And what I'm really hoping is that I'll just kick my feet up. I'll just sail off into the sunset. It'll be a nice gentle ride into eternity. And Jesus comes in in the first a part of this one and he's like, um, 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 hold on a second. Um, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. We're in, we're in a battle, but, it's, but it's, not a, it's not a physical battle. We're not, we're not called to take up arms. This is a spiritual battle. It's not about flesh and blood. It's about what's going on in the heavenlies. But it's a spiritual battle that we cannot retreat from. We can't ignore what's happening. We can't try to wait quietly, hoping the end will just come. Like I'm just going to mind my own business over here and just hope the end comes as soon as possible. And you definitely cannot deconstruct what God has said to try to negotiate peace with the world. It's not possible, although many try, even today. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're called to bear witness of the truth about Christ, light into the darkness. But God so lovingly in this passage wants to prepare you for for the hatred and how to respond. And so there's three critical points from this passage to prepare you to counter hatred with a bold testimony. First one, expect hatred from the world. Expect hatred from the world. Expectations are so key because expectations set us up for right response. If, if, you, if you thought that marriage was gonna lead you into perfect and absolute peace and blessing, the first five years of your marriage were probably difficult. Probably really difficult. If you're like, man, marriage is a thing that God uses in a relationship to reveal the places I need to grow in the gospel and, and to change and transform me, you're gonna be a little more ready. Expectation matters. Expectation matters. Expect hatred from the world. Verses 18 through 20, outline it. Uh, uh, 16, 1 through 4, outlines it. It makes the point clear. And this idea is reinforced all over the New Testament. 1 John three thirteen, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. 2 Timothy three twelve, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. It's a sobering promise. It's a warning to prepare you. The degree of hatred is, <clears throat> is unknown, but it's promised. And the degree of hatred from the world has played out in different forms throughout the history of the church. In the most extreme form, Christians are being killed still today for their proclamation of faith in Jesus Christ. It's happening around our world. God gives strength to the people that are standing up in, in environments that are so distinctly hateful. The hatred has taken on different forms in, in different areas around the world. You can feel a sort of culture of response against the faith. Today in our nation, honestly, it's extremely unlikely to face physical violence or death for your faith in Christ. Definitely not a, a systemic violence or some sort of genocide. But hatred towards Christians is real. How many felt it in different ways, right? 
It could be everyday sort of slights or snubs or insults aimed at your faith in a derogatory way. It could, be, it could lead to exclusion from different groups. Many are mocked or called names. And our culture today, just this is part of the hatred, like they endorse and support a profound double standard where they can criticize and mock Jesus and Christians, but if you say anything critical about their beliefs, then you're labeled as a bigot. And the hatred is felt, it's felt. It's, it's felt in social groups, in schools, in friend groups, in workplaces, and even in families. I heard the testimony this week of such a sweet um, young woman in our church who's uh, put her faith in Jesus and is striving to walk it out with authenticity and and heard a testimony of how she's been mocked by members of her own family for her faith. We need to have compassion on these situations. We need to have a sensitivity when it's painful and it's hurtful. But it should not be a surprise. Expect hatred from the world. Church, I think we have to be prepared to, to take the punches from the world. How do we do that? Jesus sets the expectation so that we can not just not be surprised, but also so that we can be prepared for the resistance. Athletes in contact sports, um, they train hard to prepare their bodies to absorb contact. Like right now in in training camp in football, uh, football players have to start by wearing just their helmet in practice and no pads just to prepare themselves and get themselves used to carrying the weight of the helmet on their head and to re-strengthen some of the muscles in their neck. Fighters work to strengthen their neck to, to take a punch. And, and this week I was looking at some of the basic exercises too, because I definitely do not have the frame to engage in contact sports. I know, shocking to all of you. And, um, and so, so I was looking and I, there's an exercise, they do a very basic exercise where they take and, they, and to strengthen their neck, they'll put their head against a wall or even their hand and they'll push their head against it to sort of flex their neck muscles. I look at some of you, it's like you want to do it. Permission to put your hand over your head, okay? I won't think that you're like, oh, when is this sermon going to end? I'll know that you're doing something. And so you feel, you can push up against your head and you can feel the front of your neck strengthening the muscles there. And... And I thought about that and I went, resistance is the hatred of the world that comes in many forms against us. And some of us are like, whoa, where did that come from? Why is that happening? I can't believe that that just happened to me. Or we're like, I don't don't wanna be around that resistance and just try to avoid it like I talked about earlier. But what Jesus is preparing us for is to walk through something that strengthens our ability to take what the world is going to give us. And the picture that kind of came into my mind of this was that the resistance, when we press up against it to go low, the the, the world wants to push us back, the world wants to put us on our heels, the world wants to jar us and get us into an unsteady place, But what Jesus wants us to do is press forward to get low, go humble, depending on the Lord in every way when we feel the resistance. And the people whose move 
is to go to the Lord in prayer and desperation. Like, God, I need your strength. God, I trust in you. God, would you please work in this moment? God, would you give me the endurance I need? To, to continue to press forward when I feel the resistance coming and there's pain every single day, every moment where you press up against the resistance, God is strengthening your frame to be able to absorb the hatred from the world in the right way. We're not called to start throwing punches. We're not called to shove back. We're called to go low to humble ourselves, and every time that happens, it strengthens us to absorb what the world will throw at us. To be quicker and stronger to move to God. Expect hatred from the world. Second, I want us to see, is this. We need to understand the source of the hatred. This we saw in verses 21 through 25. We see that the ultimate reason for the world's hatred of Jesus is that he testifies that its deeds are evil. That's why they hate Jesus and his followers. John, back in uh, chapter seven, verse seven, he wrote this, if you remember, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. And, and, and like, I'm not sure if you guys realize this, but in our world today, if you call someone's deeds evil, that doesn't go really well. Anybody seen that? Some of you have experienced in your own life, let's be honest. Somebody gives you a little conviction, you're like, what? You know, like that's sort of this default fleshly attitude towards that. Rejection of any sort causes people to, to, to wrestle with guilt, to feel rejected and judged, it explains why people respond with aggression and hatred. The world into this is going to constantly seek approval and justification for their actions. There's no other option. And they're going to manipulate to, or, or attack to defend their actions and their deeds. For many reasons, uh, the, the world prefers darkness. They prefer it. They reject Jesus often because they want to be their own God. That's what's being constructed. Gone is the day when people had tended to go into a variety of other religions or beliefs or even denominations of Christianity. Now, the predominant God to which people bow is self. And a rejection of Jesus into that is a rejection of God. You cannot have one without the other. Now, to help us sort of understand I want to make sure we, we have a definition of hatred because it'll help you understand the source of hatred. Look at this. Hatred is a negative emotion caused by a consistent feeling. Look at this. A consistent feeling of being threatened, disgusted, or irritated that drives or driving anger toward an individual or a group. That's hatred. And if it's going to be understandable when Jesus establishes himself as the authority for there to be hatred when the person whose deeds are declared evil is being rejected by that God. That's the perception that they have. And so the response then is that there's this 
Jesus, who's coming in saying, I'm the authority, I'm the judge, I determine what's right and wrong, I determine what's light and darkness, and uh, by the way, your deeds are not on the right side of that. And there's only two responses to God's authority. Submission or rejection. There's only two responses. Passivity is only possible for the ignorant or the lazy, but that inherently in itself, a passive response, like I don't even care, is also rejection. And honestly, as the gospel dwells in me more richly, as I understand more and more of the beauty and the depth of God's grace towards me, I'm convicted by my tendency, the tendency of my heart to respond in frustration, irritation, or even anger towards the world. I'm convicted by it. So, so please, please process this with me for a moment for the sake of the gospel, for the, for the sake of the mission. If, if you truly understand the depth of your sin, that, 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 you were, that you were dead in your sins, dead, that, that you used to follow the world at some point in your life before you came to faith in Christ, that you followed the world in blindness, living in the passions of the flesh and, and were by nature objects of wrath, eternal wrath. If you are now a follower of Jesus Christ, you, you must know that, that God being rich in mercy because of his love with your sin standing against you made you alive together with Christ by his grace, leading you then to salvation and he raised you up to live as a showcase of the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards you in Christ Jesus. If you know that, and that summary was a summary of what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter two. And if you know that, I, I, then you realize what you have in Christ. And, and, and here's what gospel awareness does. Gospel awareness, Ephesians 2 sort of gospel awareness. It softens your heart and it softens your posture towards the world. Do, do you understand that like, we're not, as the followers of Christ, we're not superior to anyone in your sin, apart from the, the justifying work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you're an object of wrath. It's only by the grace of God. It is only because of his love. To know the realities of the gospel, to live out of the realities of the gospel, it creates a humble gratitude in you. That becomes your dominant emotion and it gives you compassion on the world. As one person said to me after first service, it's gratitude, not attitude. And I was like, oh, more of that. Compassion on the brokenness and pain. Respecting the confusion that 
endures because they're blind. Grief over, over their, their lack of relationship with Jesus. In, in our home, we're always trying to, as our, as our kids have walked through the school years, um, and we, we've always just tried to, in the midst of things we've seen and that they've walked through and endured, we always try to help our kids see the brokenness and pain in the lives of people who are caught up in the world. We want to we train them to see the lostness of souls so that they can understand why they might respond with hatred or even aggressive indifference towards their faith. To be aware of what's under the surface so that they can see that that they could see the soul before they see the symptoms of the soul being wrong. They can see that, that, there is a, that there's roots that are down into unhealthy soil that are producing the fruit that they're seeing from people's lives. I, for example, I mean, the, the judgment of God in his word <clears throat> against people, even when, they, even when the world tries to push off the world and say, we're going to believe what we want to believe, they still struggle in their conscience. And so out of this struggle with their conscience, what they do is they justify their actions and beliefs. They have no choice but to, but to passionately seek approval. Do you see it now? More clearly and into this, what you realize is they, they only have two options when they're seeking approval. They either have to reconstruct God in their own image or recruit support. Everywhere. In every reality of sin that is justified in the, in, in the kingdom of our world, they either reconstruct God in their own image or they recruit support. And it always fails. Because you, God won't allow you to reconstruct him. And, and the approval is never enough, is it? And because God's created us with the conscience that those of us who are followers of Christ know that we have a conscience that only rests when secured in God's love and submitted to God's will, amen? That's when your conscience can rest. But the world continues to try desperately. And when you see this, church, I want it to drive you to prayer. Not to this posture, but to this posture. I wanted to drive you to prayer because you recognize that the work that needs to happen in a person's life, you can't argue them to. You can't be the example enough to win them with your winsome, wonderful love. Because that will always fall short of God's love. The only one that can win them, the only one that can open their eyes to the, to the glory of the gospel, the only one that can, that can literally lovingly lead them to submit their will underneath the, 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 the wisdom of God is the Spirit of God. So when we understand the source of the hatred, it should give us compassion and it should lead us to prayer. Then this, finally, boldly testify to the truth of Jesus. Verses 26 and 27 emerge right in the midst of this passage. And, and it's such an encouragement there that, that like, 
you see that the people of God were not called to retreat, not in any way. We will bear witness. The word there, to bear witness, is a present and active verb. What that means, quite simply, is that the action of this verb, this bearing witness, church, it's an action that's supposed to continue without any comprehension that it will ever end. So there's never going to be a point when you're like, nailed witnessing, I'm done. I did all that I could. I'm out. There is a continual action to this. And this church is our response to hatred. That, that first, that the spirit of God testifies to us about the goodness of Jesus Christ. Like the best cheerleader of all time is the Holy Spirit about Jesus. He's like, do you see do you see how awesome Jesus is? Do you see what he wants to do with the way that you think and the way that you live? And he's guiding you all the time and affirming how Jesus wants to live you, live. And then, and then out of that, God calls us to bear witness of that then to the world, of the goodness and the grace of Christ, to boldly testify to the truth of Jesus. Unfortunately, so many churches and pastors and Christians have chosen to respond to the hatred of the world with the same hatred. And so what comes then, which the world just has a heyday with, is messages that are, that are positioned and spoken and sometimes screamed against the world that are marked by unrighteous anger, extremism, a defensiveness, mischaracterizations of groups oftentimes. And what happens is we're telling people to see truth without leading them to the Christ who gives sight. It's foolish, but it happens all the time. You cannot preach a Christian morality, but fail to preach about the richness of the gospel required for Christian morality to take root. Like sometimes I feel like we're, we're telling the world, we're like, we're like, produce fruit with a tree that's not planted in the ground. How foolishness is that? Like, this is foolish. We're like, like, how can I produce that? Well, you need to change your fruit first before you plant yourself in Jesus is what gets communicated often. And what I think sometimes, unfortunately, is that what happens, we get so focused on all these issues that are playing out in the world that it distracts us from the gospel or, or dare I even suggest, which unfortunately I really think is true, sometimes churches and pastors and believers, we just get bored with the gospel. And so anything that's exciting, which by the way is pretty much the way the world does it all the time to attract our attention. We're attracted to all of these issues that are going on instead of a confidence that comes from a, a knowing the beauty and the sweetness of the gospel deeper and in a more abiding way. The church is shaken when it gets consumed with the controversial issues of the day and forgets about the gospel. I saw that everywhere in 2020. It was appalling. 
The church faced constant conversations and potential distractions around the issue of COVID and racism and politics and sexual and gender identity and a host of other issues. During 2020 and 2021, I heard so many testimonies of churches that literally were emptied in that time because people made their central agenda all of those issues and stopped focusing on the gospel. And their hardline position on all of the issues led them away from the center line alignment around the gospel and it led to hardline rejection from the people in the seats. Other churches prided themselves. I saw it all the time. Here's how you should respond to that. And they railed against everything. And some of those churches actually saw more people come to the church. And now I'm hearing the stories of those churches realizing that what they've attracted to their church is a church full of angry and contentious people who justify their hatred and anger as gospel boldness. There's not a lot of pastors really happy about leading those churches. I'm thankful for what the Spirit's done in our church because in that same period of time, we had a very purposeful response. We taught through the book of Acts for a year just to go, hey, we just want to align ourselves with the gospel and the mission that God has for the local church. We want to remind ourselves in the, as the waves are crashing around us what our purpose is. And then starting in last fall, we, we made the decision to walk through the Sermon on the Mount to reinforce the manner of God's kingdom. Listen, here's the right God-honoring, gospel-saturated witness is right manner and right message. You can't let go of either one and be faithful to what God calls us to. A gospel-saturated witness considers deeply the right message and the right manner. And the church of Jesus Christ today, honestly, and I'm so thankful for the people that have spoke this truth into my life, that they're the people that I love and my heart resonates with because it resonates with the truth of Scripture. Is, is this, and into this season of time, we need a more robust Full vision for our witness to the world. Uh, how we can have a bold and compelling testimony that, that's consistent with the nature of Christ. That's what I want for my life and for yours. Uh, more consistent with the gospel message. More consistent with the character of God and faithful to the commandment to love. So let me serve you here. I was thinking through this this week and how do we get to compelling Here's some words I wrote up to help remind us of this and hopefully stick in our minds and our hearts. Clear plus confident plus caring plus consistent equals compelling. So first off, clear. Like, like clear about the foundational realities of the gospel in our message. People need to hear about the character of our God and that he's creator, and then he brought order out of disorder. They need to know his love and his sovereignty and his justice and all of those beautiful character aspects about God. And they need to know that, 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 that we're created and born sinful and that we, we need the redemption that comes from what Jesus did on the cross, amen? 
and that, and that through his work on the cross and through his resurrection, we can believe in him and give our lives to him and find life through the work of the Spirit. We need to be clear on the message. We also need to be confident. Not a confidence that postures itself like we're ready to fight with the world, but a confidence that goes, I'm standing here, I'm not moving. And I don't just know this message, but I'm living this message. That's where gospel confidence comes from. Like I'm striving to live this out in my life. And then caring, caring says, man, I understand the source of what your hatred might be, and I understand that you might be blind to the gospel. And so I'm gonna lean in and I'm gonna hear your story. I wanna understand your pain. I wanna, I wanna come right alongside your life in practical ways and with any opportunity I might have to be a blessing to you and I'm gonna care. And then I'm gonna be consistent. I'm gonna be consistent. Like, I'm not moving. And you can take a swing and I'll either just like absorb it or just kind of turn and let it pass by me, but I'm not gonna move. And if you're not ready right now, I'll, I'll be here and the door will be open to you. To my hospitality, to my love. And that testimony is compelling. Some of you in this room would give a testimony of coming to faith in Christ and you could note, maybe without even, without even knowing that you're doing it, clear and confident and caring and consistent. That, those were the ingredients that, that, that led to me coming to Christ. That's compelling. That's compelling. Yes, stand your ground. But we don't respond to hatred with hatred. We don't move to mockery or to attack. And we should have as much, as much zeal as we have um, and understanding as we have from the world. There should be a sense in the body of Christ that we're like, that's not okay here. It's a wrong posture. We don't adopt the posture of the world or we will become of the world. Instead, we should remember what Paul wrote in Romans 12, 21, when he said, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with, what church? With good. With good. Respond with confidence and love and mercy and patience. Avoid talking down to people. Learn to listen. Don't avoid them, but let your testimony be bold and clear and confident and caring and consistent. And listen, here's the truth. It's still gonna be rejected. Like, it's still gonna lead to persecution. It's still going to stir up hatred. But the manner of your response will be beautiful and God-honoring. It's harder to reject the truth when it's compelling I've seen people who have such a winsome way of sharing the gospel. And, and it's almost like people are like, I, I, I want to take a swing, but you're just too nice. And, and like, I want to respond with wanting to fight you, but I know you'd just be like, I love you. I, I promise that our testimony will be used by God to produce more fruit when people don't have to deal, watch this, with the outrage that distracts them from the beauty of the gospel. There'll be more fruit produced. But if you continue to stand in a posture, oftentimes uh, God will, in his desire to bring someone to Christ, he'll lead someone else to be the one to bear the fruit and to see that happen. Clear plus confident plus caring plus consistent equals compelling. 
boldly testify to the truth of Jesus. That's the way we counter hatred with a bold testimony. We expect hatred from the world, we understand the source of hatred, and we boldly testify to the truth of Jesus. And so I ask you, church, like, who, who wants, who wants a more compelling testimony from their life? Who wants to see through our lives and our words, through our message and our manner, people who are blind move to be people who can now see, to see people's eyes open to the glory and the wonder of the gospel. That's what my heart longs for. And so before I pray, I just want to give you a simple move to make. If you're sitting here today and you're like, man, I, I know I need to, um, I, I want my message, the, the testifying of my faith to be more compelling, or there's somebody that, that I know I need to share Christ with that I want to boldly testify to, or I need endurance to, to, to walk forward, to lean forward on God because I'm facing hatred. If that applies to you in any way, I just want you to stand right now and I want to pray for you specifically. Just stand up right where you're at and just say, I want my testimony to be more compelling. I want endurance from the Holy Spirit to be able to, to speak the gospel into places where I'm going to face hatred. I want a testimony that will hold and will have the opportunity to be used by God to see people come to faith in Christ so thankful for your faith and your commitment. We're in this together. And a lot of days aren't going to be easy. But I pray that our response to the world, even in its hatred, would be a grieving and tears before we're yelling out or stirred up with anger. Let me pray for us to that end. But God, I thank you for a church that wants for our lives what you want for our lives. Thank you for the places where self is diminishing and Christ is increasing. Thank you for the places that you're leading the people in this church into relationships and interactions with people that no one else in this church, maybe even no one else in the body of Christ has the opportunity. As our world grows more alienated and broken and angry, I pray God that our testimony would grow more bold, that there would be a beautiful sweetness to it, that our, that our testimony would be compelling Yes, clear. Yes, confident. But caring and consistent. Help us, God, for examples that have not helped us. Protect our, our testimony, God, from sometimes the ones that get the headlines that are, should sadden our hearts, that are an unrighteous anger, not a bold, compelling testimony. And God, I pray that you would give us a, a sense of your heart towards the lost, that we'd grieve and feel the reality of that. And I also pray, God, for the ones who are facing hatred, would you give them endurance? Would you give them support in the body of Christ and ability to stand when others are folding? So God, thank you for the work you're doing in and through this message. Would you continue to do it for your glory? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.